Good morning, everybody. God is good. He's been gracious to us. Come rain or come shine. Amen. You know, a few weeks ago, I think you all know, but we finished like a year-long study in the book of John. And I know a lot of you at the end of it say hallelujah. I mean, for both good and for both reasons. Uh, but as you know, it's our normal, normal pattern, basically, to uh, teach verse by verse through a book. But, you know, time, from time to time, I think it's important uh, to not just stick to a pattern, but to also address other issues that are happening to us as a church. And so I found it fitting to break away from that just for the time being and to just kind of one-off uh, some subjects. But one of the major issues that uh, we're all facing as believers right now is the obviously the uptick in evil within our society. And we've, we've talked about that a lot uh, recently, and I want to continue just for the next couple of weeks to hit on that before we dive back into a book. But I, I've watched it. I think you all have just see everything that's going on from the, from the political end to the coronavirus and just everything and how people react to it. And uh, it's just, it's taken a toll on us. It's uh, pushed us. It's challenged us. It's uh, done a lot of great things, I think, uh, refining things, but it's also brought out some things that the God would, would seek to adjust. And so the question is, at least for me, is, is how as believers are we to glorify God while living in the times we do? I think every single believer has to ask that question. When you come to the Lord, He He saves you out of a world, and He brings you into His light, and then He realize then you realize He puts you back into that world, and uh, to go and to be His light. And so, um, how do we as believers um, glorify God in a society that is particularly becoming more and more uh, unrestrained in evil? It's not as if people are, um, you know. All of a sudden, there's this new thing called evil. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just uh, the restraints are becoming less and less and less prevalent in our society. And, and so it's just beginning to sweep over. And so last week, we looked at the Word of God for our response because we don't want to do what, what Pastor Matt says or what, uh, you know, what you know your your particular political persuasion says we want to go to our our creator uh, to find out what he says regarding what we are to do and to be during these times and psalm 37 was a great place to start we did verses 1 through 11 where we saw 15 commands uh, i didn't count them out for you but they're there 15 commands regarding uh, living among evil and he and he says there i'm just going to list them off for you it says do not fret do not be envious trust in the lord do good, dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness, delight in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act, be patient before the Lord, wait patiently for him, fret not, refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not. How does that match up with your reaction towards evil around you? Challenges me, amen? Both in my, my heart, and my actions, by words, and I think this is a, a fitting word for us. And so the idea is that instead of responding to evil with evil, which is how the world responds to evil, um, as believers, our hearts and attitudes in these days are to be marked by meekness, a fruit of the Spirit, uh, which is restraint under control of the Holy Spirit, something the Lord brings about within a believer. It's a humble submission to a, a humble uh, authority that, that's under control of the Holy Spirit, trusting in him, knowing that he will take care of things ultimately. We're to be meek. And so the emphasis of the first several verses of Psalm 37 is a call for us not to take things into our own hands. 
as the fallen world does, but to rather humbly trust in God. And I pray that it doesn't fall on deaf ears, doesn't just bounce right off my heart, but it, it would go into our hearts and let the word of God permeate and change and challenge our actions. And so as believers, we're to be marked by this meekness. And so we're called not to react in the flesh in these times, but to rely upon the Lord in these evil days. Now, some people go, go well, well, then what do you do? Like, uh, you know, that just seems like a, a cop-out. And, you know, I want to do something. This, this doesn't mean that we're called to inaction. This does not mean we're called to inaction. Obviously, we're commanded to wait patiently, but we're also called to do good and to cultivate faithfulness. Um, you know, we are called to action while we wait upon the Lord for his ultimate uh, judgment in all of this. But it's important that we, as we wait along the, upon the Lord, that as we look out on the political landscape, as we look along, at along how uh, evil is playing out in our society, that we recognize that this is not a battle that is overcome in the power of our flesh. It's not going to be won on Facebook. It's not going to be won on Twitter. It's not going to be won uh, by marching and demonstrating and tearing down things or, you know, um, by our ballot. I'm not saying we don't in- involve ourselves in voting. But I, you know what I'm saying? This is, this, ultimately, this, this war that is being waged is, is not a fleshly war. It's a spiritual battle. We're a spiritual people if you're in Christ. You've been called out of the realm of the flesh, fleshly response and into the spiritual response. We're in a spiritual battle. And rather than uh, reacting to everything in the flesh, we need to learn to rely upon the Lord and to withstand the day of evil by spiritual means, not fleshly means, as our Lord provides for us. And so while the world we see, uh, they, they battle, and they battle according to the flesh. They battle with words and marching and throwing stuff or whatever it might be, or protests and all this kind of stuff. We recognize that this is ultimately a spiritual battle. There are spiritual things going on behind the scenes, which brings us today's today's message, and we'll kind of go into next week as well, but it's standing in the day of evil. Standing in the day of evil. So please open to Ephesians chapter 6 with me. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Uh, awesome passage of scripture. It's been preached on many times in the past couple of years. Uh, most recently, Path- Pastor Arthur taught it last May. So not just this past May, but the year before. And it's because it's a cornerstone of what we as believers need to know and believe living in the times that we live in. Because we're called to live as light among the darkness. So may we open our hearts and our minds to what the word of God says here. Ephesians 6, 10-13 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces and of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil and having done all to stand firm. Paul's desire for the church there is that they would stand in the day of evil 
not in their strength, but in the strength of the Lord. Now he's writing to the Ephesians. And he just spent the, fat, the past five chapters, there's only six chapters in Ephesians. He just spent the past five chapters uh, leading up to this point where he says, now stand. And that we're called, what we're called to ultimately comes down to a stand. That we would continue to stand in the day of evil as evil surrounds us. And so to build on that foundation of what we're to stand upon, Paul, Paul spends that, the first three chapters talking about what Christ has done on our behalf as believers and who we are in him. And this is how Paul works and the apostles work. They basically tell you uh, doctrine before they tell you how to, how to live it out. They tell you who you are in Christ before, before they tell you what you're supposed to do or they teeter back and forth between them. And so he spends three chapters speaking about all that Christ has done for us and who we are now as a result of that in Christ. Who you are. What's your new identity? Because your position, according to Paul, determines your practice. Who you are determines what you do. Are you a worldly person? If so, it's going to show up in, in, in living like the world and reacting like the world and doing things like the world. But if you are a, a Christian, if you have been born again, it's something that's happened by the sovereign grace of God inside of you and is working its way out. You are now going to show that and manifest that in increasing ways in your actions in your life. And so Paul says in the first few chapters that we have been, I'm just going to read off a bunch of stuff and. I'm not going to quote off verse, but the, the verses, but that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We've been chosen before the foundation of the world, predestined, adopted, blessed, forgiven. We've been given the knowledge of God's plan. We've been given eter an eternal inheritance. We were spiritually dead, once disobedient to God, under the power of Satan, ruled by the passions of our flesh and by nature. We were children of wrath, but God, obviously in his mercy, he made us alive in Christ. By grace, through faith, you have been saved. Amen? Not of works, lest any man should boast. And we were, cre we were created in Christ Jesus. We are made alive in Christ Jesus that we would now walk in good works. We once walked in darkness, but now we're to walk in the good works that were prepared for us when? Before the foundations of the earth. This is God's plan. And this is the thrust of the first three chapters. All that God has done for you. All that God has done for me. Who he has made us in Christ Jesus. This is our position. This is, who, this is how we're seated in Christ. And someone said um, that you have to learn to sit before you stand, before you walk, so to speak. And so Paul tells them, this is who you are. You're seated in Christ. Paul wants us to know who we are as believers seated in Christ Jesus because he gets to chapter 4. He shifts from who we are because of what God has done now to what we do in response to all of that. He says there in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, How we're to walk. I therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Therefore, in other words, because of everything I just told you, now walk worthy of it. 
Walk worthy of the call. And so Paul says this, because you're seated in Christ Jesus, and that's your position, you're now to walk this way. Walk according to the Spirit, basically. Walk worthy of the calling. The idea is of walking is pretty repetitive. How many of you go for a morning walk? How many of you don't because it's repetitive and boring and mundane? Everyone, all the true believers, raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's the picture he uses. Because a walk is something that is boring. It is continual repetitive motion. And that's what he wants you to do. Is he wants you to realize it's a slog. There's life, but it's hard. It's a walk. It's, it's the way you live your life. It's consistent. As opposed to the way the world lives their life, which is the other way. Their walk is different than our walk based upon who they are, who we've been. Amen? And so Paul says, listen, unbelievers walk this way, believers walk this way. And he begins to talk about that walk, that new life we have in Christ in chapter 4. And he begins to describe our walk and he speaks of humility. He speaks of gentleness, of bearing with one another in love and maintaining the unity of the Spirit. And then Paul tells us that the context of that walk is that we're a part of a body. You're no longer a lone ranger. You've been born into the family of God. Each of you, gifted by the Holy Spirit, given a specific role within the body of Christ that no one else fulfills. And your purpose isn't to hoard your gift. Your, your purpose is to lay down your life and give your life away so that others might live and be blessed. And what happens is when a body is working correctly, it matures, it grows, it becomes healthy. But when the arm doesn't show up, everything else suffers. Or when the arm is doing what it wants, it's diseased, right? And so what happens is Christ is our head and we are the potty. We've been brought in. This is just a picture, obviously, an analogy of what's happening in the spirit is that you've been grafted into the body of Christ. You've been given gifts. You've been given position and talent. And, and, and together we grow in those. We give our lives away so that others would be blessed. And so our identity is no longer one of a lone ranger. Remember when Jesus taught the church to taught the disciples to pray, what did he say? He said, when you pray, pray this way. My Father art in heaven. Was it my Father? I'm sorry, our, our Father. Forgive me my sins. No, forgive us our sins. Give me my daily bread. No, give us our daily bread. There's a context. There's a body there. And so we're part of the family of God now. Our identity is no longer a lone ranger. We are part of the body of Christ and we grow in maturity. And as we grow in maturity, what we learn, Paul says, is that you begin to put off your old life and you begin to put on Christ. As we're around the one another's, the, we get, and we're in the word of God and we walk in the light, the, the things that are unpleasing and the things that are unfitting begin to be exposed and, and we get to now cast them off as the Holy Spirit shows them. And then we put on Christ instead. And so he talks about this, that our pattern of life as we grow is one of putting off the old man and putting on the new. We are to put away falsehood, he says, and to speak the truth in love. He says, we're no longer to allow anger to lead our lives, but in, in give the devil an opportunity. We're no longer to steal, but we're now to work hard so that we provide for our families, and not only provide for our families, that we provide for those who don't have. 
You see, God takes us from being takers and stealers and, and covetous to being givers and benevolent, just as he is. We put away anger, bitterness, wrath, clamor, and slander and malice. Instead, we are now kind to one another, tender-hearted towards one another, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave us. And so there's a shift from the old self to the new self in Christ. And in chapter 5, Paul says that we're to be imitators of God, you know, of our, of our new father. And now we're to walk in love. And he says, so therefore, put off sexual morality, impurity, coveting, filthiness, foolishness, foolish talking, crude joking. Instead, thankfulness is now to flow from our mouths. We're not to partner with evil anymore. That's, those aren't our partners anymore. Instead, we are to walk as children of the light and try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. We're to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And so our walk, our new life in Christ that repetitive day-in, day-out lifestyle looks like everything he just said. Not walking as the unwise, but as the wise. We're now to make the best of our time, he says, because the days are evil. We're called to refrain from getting drunk, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that look like? Being drunk leads to a shipwrecked life and destroying others around you. Being filled with the Spirit, by the way, being drunk, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. That's the principle. It leads to destroyed life. What does being filled with the Spirit look like? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It, you edify others instead of tell them, tear them down. And we know from the sister book of Colossians that being filled with the Spirit is, is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So as the word of Christ is in you, you begin to bless others instead of being a curse. And Paul finishes the thought of our new life in Christ, how we as believers are now living by addressing the relationships we have in one, with one another. And so he says, hey, if you love Christ, if you have reverence for Christ, it's going to show in how you live. The tree is going to bear fruit. And so wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents. Honor your mother and father, right? Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but rather... Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so it's not with anger, but with discipline and instruction, we raise our kids up. Slaves, obey your masters, knowing that God will reward whatever good anyone has done. It will be paid back to them by the Lord. Masters, do the same for your slaves. And so he's just speaking to the society where it was. In all these relationships, there's a humility. There's a submission. There's a Trust in the Lord. And so Paul has this sweeping epistle of all these things that because of what Christ has done, because of who we are, this is now where, how we're to act in an evil day. Now, is that a cakewalk? How many of you just like sat there and just tuned out because it was just too overwhelming? Like you got to number one and two and you're like, okay, well, that's, that's over. That was my point. What God is calling to us is a walk that is worthy of the calling. It's no small task to live righteously in an evil day. This life is going against the flow, church. It's going against the flow. 
because you have an enemy within you. The flesh, the fallen man, yet to be redeemed. You have this body Paul describes as a dead man tied to you. Dragging you against the things where you want to go. You want to follow the Lord, but this body keeps pulling you in the opposite direction. Oh, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. You've got an enemy within. And to make it worse, you've got an enemy without. You've got an enemy that surrounds you. You've got a world populated by fallen people following their evil desires, of whom we all were once them. Amen? And because of that, and because of the third point, but because of that, we've got systems that are set up to accommodate sinfulness. From our government, all the way down to religion, or up to religion, or sideways, or whatever it is perversions of God's institutions. So we've got an enemy within. We've got an enemy that surrounds us. And not only that, we know from Ephesians 2 and all over the place that the world, its systems, and the fallen people in it are all ruled by the prince of the power of the air, by Satan, a fallen satanic being who is a superstar. A strong, powerful, mighty, demonic force pulling and enticing. And you as a believer, you think you, you've got it against him? You think you can, you can outdo him in the strength of your flesh? We are fooled. The world is too tempting. We are too fallen. It's not going to happen. He, along with his demons, are actively empowering and influencing all the situations that we see around us. And so if we think that we can just live this new life in Christ that he calls us to us, we can just walk worthy of the calling and the strength of our own flesh. We're greatly mistaken. To walk worthy of the calling, to stand in the day of darkness, we need a power that is above our flesh, a power that is beyond this world, a power that is above and more more, uh, powerful than the devil who rules this place. And this is why Paul says in our verse today, Ephesians chapter uh, 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power or in the strength of his might. Can't do this on your own. You cannot live in this world and be victorious in Christ without relying upon the power of God. The power that comes from the Lord the power over the flesh, the power over the world, the power over the devil, the power that is above all. Back in the first chapter of Ephesians, Paul starts out in verse 20, he says says regarding Christ that God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Where is Christ seated? Verse 21 says, far above all rule and authority 
and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And God put all things and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is the supreme power and he is the head of the church. He is the power that we have to live victoriously in this life, to overcome sin, to overcome the world and the devil, to withstand in the day of evil. He alone is our, is our power. He is our source. He is the head of the church, and he is above all power, dominion. Notice all the names he put in there. He's above it all. Jesus was victorious over the flesh. He was obedient to the point of death, and his spirit now lives in you if you are indeed a believer. And what Paul tells us is that we not only are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, but he says in chapter 2, verse 6, that God raised him up, uh, raised us up with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are now seated with Christ Jesus positionally. We have access to the Father. We can go boldly before the front throne of grace. We're not, you know, oh no, what do we do? We are the most equipped, most powerful force on the face of the earth in Christ Jesus. And it is not to react the way the world reacts. It's a spiritual kingdom. It is a spiritual reaction church. So not only is our position in Christ, but our power is in Christ, who is above all. And Paul says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And in church, in order to stand on the day of evil, we must, we must resist the temptation to rely upon our own methods and strengths and draw upon and trust in the Lord and his power. And so verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Again, our enemy is a spiritual enemy. And we are called to take a stand against his schemes by putting on the whole armor of God. And the whole armor of God is just another way of saying to fully put your trust in the Lord. And the different aspects of that trust that we have in him. But we must do that because the devil is scheming against us as believers. He's scheming against us. Scheming in the, in the Greek word is where we get our word method. And, and the idea is he has cunning methods against us. And they aren't the same. And, and we know from other scriptures like 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, he, what does he do? He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to whom he may, may devour. How many of you have cats? How many of you, when you're walking out in the hills, are a little bit mindful of them? Because they're a little crafty. They're a little cunning. They aren't just going to like walk up to you and start sniffing you like a bear or whatever. They're going to jump out of a tree or, you know, chase you down. This is obviously my phobia of cats, but I'm just saying they're crafty little beasts with like daggers and stuff on them. But the idea is that there's a roaring lion. He doesn't, he doesn't sit there and like make his presence known when he wants to attack. He attacks your weakness. He schemes. 
it goes towards the weakness. And so we must be mindful of that. He's scheming. And the only power we have against him who is above our ability and our power is to take our strength in the Lord and put on God's armor. So we must be ready to stand against him lest he get a foothold in our life and ruin our living witness for Christ, ruin our walk, stumble us. The way we stand is that we are to arm ourselves, arm ourselves. This is the idea, the picture that Paul is drawing from. Now, the only other time in the New Testament that uh, besides here in Ephesians is, is, when, is when Jesus is, is, when he talks about armor, arming yourself, is Jesus talks about it in Luke 11, 21. He speaks about the strong man. Jesus said, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. A lot of you living in Walla Walla can picture that. No one's breaking into your house, taking your stuff when you're fully armed and you are alert, right? But when a stronger one than, uh, one than he attacks him, he overcomes him. He takes away his armor in which he trusts and divides his spoils. And he goes, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. The context isn't about the armor of God there, but I'm just saying that's the only other time they put on, they use the word armor. The idea is that the armor is, makes it so someone can't attack your vital organs and get you and take you out. He's saying there's a strong man in a house and he is armed. You're not going to get to him unless you are better armed. Does that make sense? And by the way, Jesus is saying here, I'm the strong man. I came into the devil's house. I took him out. I'm taking his stuff. And that's, that's the point of it. And if you're for, are you for me or you're against me? Amen? Who's the one on the throne? The strong man. Who has the armor and the power that can overcome the strong man in his house? Jesus Christ. Who are we seated with? The strong man. He is our Lord. And his armor is at our disposal as his children. Do we know that? Because one of the tactics of the schemes of the enemy is to make you forget you have armor or make you forget your position, to make you think that you have no power in this earth. No, you do. The Lord Jesus, we are to be strong in the power of his might, putting on his armor, lest we be overcome by Satan. Verse 12, real quickly, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces and every, I'm sorry, of, of evil in, in the heavenly places. One of the schemes of the devil against us is to entice us to react into the flesh when we're actually fighting a spiritual enemy. And thereby engaging in the very evil that we proclaim to denounce. Be careful that we don't say things, that we don't engage in things, that we don't misrepresent the Lord in these times and these seasons. It is our witness that we trust in him in these times. It's a tactic of his to draw you out, to get you into your flesh. It's so tempting, isn't it? You don't you just want to say a bunch of stuff? I do. I do sometimes. It's wrong. We've got to repent, right? Instead, we should be mindful of his tactics. You see, from the beginning, he's all about the eye instead of the ear. 
This is how the enemy works. He put something enticing. He did it to Eve. It was pretty. It was good for food. It appealed to a physical desire and, and it would make her wise apart from the Lord. He said, don't listen to what the Lord said. Just pay, don't pay attention to that. Go with what's in front of you. See, that's the allure. That's how this world is built. How many of you feel like you've got to buy a new car every couple of years and why? Because it's not shiny anymore. It's not pretty. It doesn't appeal to you anymore. It doesn't satisfy that inner working within your heart. Well, you know, that doesn't apply to guitars. It's just cars, guys. So I'm just saying, amen? No. Come on, worship leaders. I'm just kidding. It really is. It's interesting. You know, I was sharing, like on Facebook, sometimes there's these pages and you got like church kind of things going on. And, and people share their ideas about equipment and all this stuff. It just is like one big giant coveting fest. Oh, you've got this. Oh, I need that. And we've got to build a, and it just starts stacking on. And we're just kind of like, what's going on here? Just the, the appeal of the flesh. And it just catches us all. And this is how the enemy entices us. He lures us. He doesn't put something that doesn't appeal to you in front of you. He puts something that appeals to you. That's how you catch a fish. That's how you entice or trap an animal. Well, not around here anymore, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Think of, he did that to Eve, but think about Isaac with, with Jacob. Isaac was old and blind and, and he was deceived by Jacob. You're going, how in the world was he deceived? Like Jacob pretended to be his brother Esau. Esau was like a hairy dude. And so apparently his mom in order to trick his dad into giving him his brother's blessing, said like, hey, put on like goat's hair on your arms, like glue some of that on. So I mean, Esau must have been really hairy dude. Like goats are hair, and his dad is blind, right? And he goes, and by the way, make this soup just the way that he likes it. And so he goes in the room, he brings the soup, and his dad kind of hears his voice. He hears his voice, but he goes, what's going on here? But see, he liked the soup. He went after the bowl of soup. And then he touched his arm just to make sure, and he felt the hair, but he just kind of, and that's what happens to us. The enemy is crafty, he's cunning, and he gets us to not listen to what God has clearly said to us, but to rationalize and go after how, what we feel and, and what, what satisfies our appetites, and we end up being devoured. We need to rely upon the spiritual strength that God has given us in Christ to grow in discernment, to grow in maturity, to beat around believers who aren't, who are serious about their walk, to be men and women of the word, right? And let the Lord grow us up, lest we succumb to the evil that we wrestle within. And Paul makes it clear that it is a wrestling match. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And that's the idea is, is the wrestling match. And back then, as it is, well, not like professional wrestling, but regular wrestling, is you pin someone until they submit. It's like MMA. That's the idea, is that we're in a wrestling match with evil. And they are not going to stop until you are on your back and you are out for the count. That's what we're in. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Look at the situations that are going on around us. 
see past it. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the spiritual things that are behind that. We need spiritual approach, spiritual weapons, spiritual armor, not only to attack, but to defend, to make our stand, lest we get pinned. And this is the enemy's aim. And so verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We are living in the evil day as every believer has. We are the most well-equipped force to deal with this on earth. And I want to explore with you next week about the armor that God has given us in Christ to combat this. Using a physical analogy of a soldier, but the spiritual reality of who we are in Christ. And so the idea is that we must have a mindset for war. We must have a mindset for war. We must be willing to engage, to take up the whole armor. We must be those who stand, lest we become, we, we get overcome. There is no Switzerland. You either are for or against. We are to resist in the day of evil. That's what that word withstand means. We're called to resist. Same word used in James. Submit yourselves, what? To God and resist the devil. And he will do what? He will flee from you. Why? Because you've submitted to the Lord and you're standing in the power of his might. So as we submit to God in the evil day, we resist the devil and he can't pin you. Some of us need to get up off the mat in Christ, in his strength, and his power, and get back to standing, myself included. So we put on the full armor of God that we may be able to resist in the day of evil and having done all to stand. Listen, it isn't taking a stand. It is standing firm in the Lord, in our walk, in our witness, to continue in that until the Lord sets things right. That's our responsibility as believers in the day of evil, to resist and to stand firm. Resist, stand firm. Resist, stand firm. How? In his power, in his might, which is absolutely, 100%, totally accessible to his redeemed through faith. Now this week, the enemy would want you to do anything but find out what that is, what that means. I would encourage you to read ahead and look at that and pray about that. Ask how the Lord might be calling you to stand back up in these days. Amen? And rest in his mighty power. Next week, we'll get into the armor of God. Stand, therefore, and he goes into all of the pieces of weaponry we have in Christ, which I'm excited about sharing with you. Lord, we know that you are seated high above all principalities, all powers, all dominions. Upon, above the strongest being, Lord, you, there you, you sit enthroned. And nothing is taking you by surprise and nothing is outside of your range and reach, Lord. And Lord, we're your 
redeemed children, light living among darkness, and we have no power over this um, present evil apart from you. And I'm so thankful that we are not uh, removed from you, but we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we're actually seated with you now, that we have access to you, and you lovingly hear us, and that you will answer all that is according to your goodwill and is best for us according to that will. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do a cleansing work within this church, within our, our hearts this morning, those listening at home, that we would once again rely upon you fully in this day and cast our cares upon you, roll our lives into you, rest and wait upon you, but actively continue to walk and to live and to walk in the good works that you prepared for us before the foundations of the world, that people may see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Lord, do that work in and through us. Make this body of believers a powerful witness to the world around us, a contrast to the evil that is going on, a a church of love and light and truth. Lead us on, Lord Jesus. So, Father, we just praise you. We thank you for this day, and it's in the name of your glorious Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.